Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Austin Peterson is a former model, has appeared on late night TV, and oh yeah, he's run for president of the United States as well. Our conversation is next. First, allow me to talk about the incredible company based just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. They're American Pride Roasters Coffee. APR Coffee is so unique on the American small business landscape, battling against the big boys as they face insanely hiked costs during this period of intense inflation and supply chain woes. Some of the nightmares that Dave Matthews from APR Coffee has told me about are just unreal. But they continue to deliver superior coffee to their highly valued customers, like yourself. I hope you'll give APR Coffee a shot if you haven't yet. And uh, even if it's just one try you give them, give them a shot. They're defying the odds during very trying times for small businesses. They love America, and they love their craft of bringing you the highest quality coffees available while sharing your love for this country. Please give APRCoffee.com a try today or place another order with them if you've already done business in the past. They would love to see you return. And be sure to use promo code ATM for 10% off at checkout. That's offer code ATM at APRCoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Austin Peterson has already lived quite a life and experienced so much. Recently, he and I sat down to discuss his radio show, his karate prowess, and of course, that run for president of the United States, and if he's going to ever possibly run for office again someday. We talk about all of that and so much more. Let's get things started with this week's guest on At The Mic. It's Austin Peterson. Man, thank you so much, because this was insanely zero notice. (laughs) <laughs> I want to tell you how I discovered that you were actually going to be in town. So someone sent me a message on Twitter that said, hey, while Austin is in town for Elijah, you should have him on at the mic. And I said, wait, what? And so I went through your feed and I was like, oh, cool. I see the tweet here because you and I have actually tried to coordinate something a while back. And I thought, hey. Here's a chance. I'm yes. going to ask him. So thanks for carving out time with zero notice whatsoever. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. I was on my uh, honeymoon a couple weeks ago, and Elijah sent me the DM on Twitter. I was on the beach. He's like, hey, can you come to can you come to Dallas, Texas? I'm like, <laughs> yes, but let's uh, maybe discuss uh, next week. Yeah, but uh, That's funny. Yeah. It was a good time, though. I had a good time and uh, got back from Florida, and I'm, now I'm in Dallas. Because you recently got married. Yep. Um, tell us how you met Stephanie. Okay, so this is a great story. The, yeah. the old-fashioned libertarian love story. So <laughs> so when I ran for Senate in 2018, she had seen me when I ran for president. And like I spoke at Hillsdale after that, and she came and saw me speak. And we, we became friends. She was kind of like the volunteer who was the top volunteer for my Senate campaign. Uh-huh. Came to Missouri a bunch. She's from Michigan. And uh, we were really good friends. And then, you know, after the campaign was over, I decided to have a meetup with like all my Liberty friends in Missouri. So we went on this uh, camping slash like canoeing trip. And uh, at one point on the canoe trip, we went uh, in a cave where we were just kind of like, you know, the, the group of people all just kind of walking through the cave. And then at one point, I felt this hand like reach around and grab my waist. And I 
It was just oh, was I, it completely dark. Did it you was have any dark. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, <laughs> was, it wasn't that scary, but I mean, I, I just no. I felt this electricity in my chest when that happened, and I was like, I had never kind of looked at her like that before. Oh. And so after that, we started to talk more, <laughs> and I think we were friends for like like two, three years, and then we started dating and. My boss kind of asked me last fall, like, what was what was it that made you decide that she was the one? And I thought about it for a moment. Uh, my grandmother had this recipe that she used to make of, of this Danish. It's a Danish recipe. I'm Danish. Uh, and of noodles for Thanksgiving every year. My grandma passed away a few years ago, and I just and I, I just remember telling her how much I really loved that my grandmother's recipe. She went and found out what that recipe <laughs> oh, was, no. like you know, without me even knowing, and made it for me and my whole family. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, oh, this is she is the one. That uh, is she is so the one. Cool. And man. so yeah, so we got married at a on the family farm at a beautiful farm wedding, and yeah. she looked amazing, and our families you know, came together and met for the first time. And, you know, my mother passed away when I was really young. Some people might remember that when I talked to Glenn about yeah. that, you know, about my faith Ten and things years like old, that. I believe. Yeah, yeah. And she, Stephanie really fills that void in my life of like having someone who is that feminine presence, who is mm. nurturing and loving and kind and tender and having our families come together in that moment was like a moment where it just kind of you really have this hope this 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 swelling feeling of hope for their, your future where when you don't have a family when you don't have kids when you don't have that you know you like the future is kind of uncertain the future what is it going to be but like i really see even though i'm you know not a religious person how important this the institution of marriage is in terms of creating stability and having you know healthy psychology you know and having healthy relationships and so i you know i'm i'm happier now than i've ever been and i've had a great life but that's it's cool. it's better now than it's ever been that's cool man yeah and you talk about that life we've got a lot of ground to cover with that life because i, I just love the fact you were born and raised on a farm mm -hmm. and Peculiar, peculiar Missouri, yeah. right? And that, that same farm you ended up getting married on, then? yeah, yeah, cool. the family farm, yeah. That's great. How was life growing up on a farm, man? You know, you can't go to just go to your friend's house, right? right. You it, when you live in the suburbs, you can get on your skateboard or your bike, and you can go visit your friends. You can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to have an imagination. And, you know, there's danger on the farm, right? You know, you're walking in the woods and when you're a little kid, everything seems so much bigger and scarier, right? right? So I think, you know, there's a reason why people who grow up in cities have different mindsets than people who grow up in rural areas. And there's a reason why culturally we have these differences, I think, as a country, because you just become naturally more independent. Mm. You just, you have to think for yourself. You're not being influenced as much yeah. by people. We couldn't get cable where we were. I couldn't watch Nickelodeon. So when I went to school, <laughs> I had no idea what the Rugrats were. I couldn't, I couldn't, I could, you know, and in some ways it alienated me from my from my my peers but in other ways you know it made you more sort of self-reliant i guess you know? yeah yeah see i grew up in the suburbs and i didn't have the benefit of nickelodeon either really so, two oh. different reasons i guess but poor, you know, <laughs> yeah, poor right. kid yeah right 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 <laughs> see i i absolutely love the rural settings in this country i was born and raised in atlanta georgia but i went to the university of nebraska and i've spent a lot of time I'm very familiar with the state of Nebraska. And so I know what you mean about being so far away from your neighbors and your friends. And, and but it, it's so, especially today, the benefits of being outside of the cities 
it's so rewarding. It just, it really is. It's, it's practically a vacation just to get out of the city limits. And I wonder, do you currently live in a rural setting then? And so is well, that- We've got five and a half acres. Okay, yeah. You know, compared to a lot of people, that's yeah. that's a lot, sure. right? And we live in the county, so we don't have the same kind of restrictions you'd have if, you know, we lived in Jefferson City. So, you know, I can shoot on my property, for mm -hmm. example, and I can shoot fireworks off on my property, for example. So, you know, there's there's aspects of our life that's rural, but we're not too far away right. from the city. But your kids will get the benefit of yes. more of a, a setting like you're used to growing up yeah. than say... They'll get a little bit of both, which I kind of I kind of yeah, like, cool. right? And, yeah. and we can yeah. get internet. So, you know, we, we are connected if we need to see TikTok for whatever reason, but not that we <laughs> want to but um but yeah i think i think that that it's healthy you know when yeah. you're a kid the grass is always greener mm -hmm. you're gonna you know you're gonna wish that you could run around with your friends in the suburbs and things like that but i don't know that that necessarily produces the best outcome i feel like you know i lived in new york for a number of years i lived in dc for a number of years and 11 years and that was enough that was enough. That's I got I that feel. experience, yeah. right? It's kind of like that song that we got from the class of 99, Wear Sunscreen, where he's like, live in New York, but leave before it makes you hard. Live in Southern California, but leave before it makes you soft, right? Like <laughs> starting out in a rural setting, I think it's healthy for kids. Uh -huh. They're going to want to go stretch their legs and live in the cities. But you know what? Right. My brother, he's lived in Boston for about as long, and now he wants to come home. Mm -hmm. He wants to come home. He, he works in the same kind of industry as I do, and he wants to come back. He wants to spend time with family because it's just, I think, psychologically healthier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was your earliest memory uh, growing up as a kid? Any idea what that Ooh. was? Probably my earliest memory would have been preschool. I just remember being... I pooped my pants. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yes, I was. So, so before Big Bird became a shill for the vaccine uh, companies, they had like the Sesame Street characters had come to preschool, uh -huh. and I was like, I was so afraid that I was going to miss them that I didn't want to go to the bathroom. Oh, no. So, so it became a self fulfilling prophecy uh -huh. because. I waited to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to miss them, but then I pooped my pants and then they sent me home. So oh, I ended up. Oh no! So yeah, so that's not that's tragic. Yeah, it was tragic. That, so does that serve as your most embarrassing moment in life as well? Oh, or dude, I've ran for president as a libertarian. Oh, we're gonna get to yeah, this. So, we're gonna get to this. And then changed parties and ran as a Republican uh -huh. and got crushed. So no, I've been embarrassed publicly. Okay. Gary Johnson threw my gun away. In the garbage. Whoa. Whoa. Wait, you don't know this? Oh, Whoa, man. Hold oh. on. Oh, that, that does Poop in my pants as a preschooler does not weigh anywhere near the most no. embarrassing thing. I, I don't know that I know this. Oh, it's a long story, but Bob, keep it brief. So essentially, <laughs> I... You know, I had a, a replica of George Washington's flintlock pistol. Okay. And I had had it for years. It was like, you know, you get them at Mount Vernon, they sell them for like a hundred bucks. It's like non-working, but a nice replica. And okay. it's just something that I sat on my mantle as a conversation piece. I thought to myself, well, when I'm running for president, you know, the, the convention is on President's Day. And I said, okay, I'm going to bring this with me. And if I don't win the nomination, then I will gift it to either John McAfee or Gary Johnson <laughs> as a token of respect. That's, oh, that's no. kind of a thing with guys, you know, like if you yeah. give a guy a gun, it's like a gesture of respect. Oh, I do not know this story. Oh, it was a deal. It was a deal. So, because, so I, can, can we just stop for just a moment here before you get into this story? Yeah, yeah. You ran for president, which kudos to you. Oh, I, I mean that sincerely. And 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 what a missed opportunity for the Libertarian Party when they bypassed you. I could not believe. And I and I watched that day. That's why I, as you tell this story, and I'm sorry to interrupt Ooh. it. No, all right. But I followed that convention and those results that day. 
and so I, I was not aware of this story, but oh my gosh, please tell me, <laughs> it felt like from my perspective, a thousand miles away as a total, uh, just a uh, screw job. Well, was it was it not that from your perspective? But anyway, I, there I are exciting. Take yeah, there are exciting reasons that are you know you know you know interesting to discuss about why that happened, and then there's some of the boring reasons, which is that okay. he had been the candidate before, and typically they offer it as a gesture of a courtesy that if the candidate who was before wants to run again, just like in the Republican or the Democratic Party. Sure. So so that's part of it, you know, but mm -hmm. there there were other malign reasons okay. that we could get into later. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll just say this, that, you know, I brought that gun. Yeah. Because if knowing that my chances were slim, you know, I, want, I, would be, I wanted to be humble and offer as a gesture of respect. Well, the, the Gary Johnson campaign demanded that I uh, endorse Bill Weld the vice presidential candidate who had come in, who had said all kinds of dumb stuff about guns, uh -huh. you know, like the AR-15 is a weapon of war and all this stuff. So I was like, listen, I promised I would support Gary if you won, but it doesn't mean I have to, I don't have to endorse his vice presidential candidate. Right. So when I refused to do so, and I just, I said, hey, you should pick this other person to be the VP uh, instead of Bill Weld, Gary Johnson tossed the gun in the garbage and I didn't find out until later when my supporters came and told me the story. And then uh, Gary Johnson confirmed it because Fox News contacted him about that. And mm. he said, yeah, yeah, we did. It was weird, too, because they tried to buy it back from me because the media was like, hey, did you do this? Did you do this? And he, they kept sending these emissaries like, oh, $500? Will you, can, will you give us to us for $1,500? And like, I'm like... No, I'm going to keep it now. Mm -hmm. It's it's mine now. And uh, they're like, just, you know, they basically were like, blank check. What do you want for it? Weird. And at that point, I was like, well, now it's priceless. So I'm right. definitely keeping this gun. What are they going to do with it? You know, use it as to say, oh, no, we didn't throw away the gun. Oh, okay. right, right. Yeah, like, here it is. Yeah, We've yeah, had yeah. it the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyways, but I, I got my gun back. And it, it's, it's funny because now it's the most, ex I, like, I own a lot of guns, but that is now the most expensive gun in what? my... Wait, what is it valued at? Well... I mean, name my price, right? So, right. Yeah. <laughs> and they offered a blank check, but um, you know, it to me, it has more value to me from like a sentimental perspective. Right. Like, you know, if I ever do hold office, right? Let's say I win dog catcher one day, then I'll put it on my desk uh -huh. for the dog catcher in a little glass case. The gar <laughs> the garbage gun. Garbage you know? <laughs> gun. George Washington's garbage yeah, gun. Yes. We we will get back to some um, uh, discussions of your campaigns. And in some of the offices that you have sought, um, but I want to go back to your early days in Missouri. You ended up going to Missouri State University, yeah. And I found what you majored in to be quite interesting, <laughs> con considering that because currently you're a talk host yeah. in Jefferson City, Missouri, on the radio there, KWOS News Radio. Nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in addition to your political talk show, you have run for office. So how did you get from fine arts into politics and 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 tell us about being a fine arts major? What were you planning on it's doing? It's funny you said that because like when I was working in Washington DC with political stuff, that's what people would say, right? I would go to like cocktail parties and things and they'd be like mostly they it's political science majors and lawyers in right, DC. Right. And so when people found out that you majored in musical theater, it's very like, what are you doing here? Oh my God. Right? So, so that was the specific was it, musical theater. It was musical theater. Okay. Right. And so, <laughs> well, but here's the thing, you know, what was funny was that this would have been 2008 when I first started getting into politics because of Ron Paul. Right. 
But there aren't at the time there weren't many conservative or libertarians who were into politics and who were creative. And I still think we kind of suffer from a dearth of creative types. You know, we're in a creative area, so you're surrounded by them here. But in terms of overall, like if you look at the Republican National Convention versus the Democratic Convention, we've got Clint Eastwood and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, however you feel about him. He's a Republican. (laughs) But and they've got all of Hollywood, right? They've got all of television. They've got all of these, you know, artists and actors. So so it was actually a benefit to me, you know, having been a a volunteer, a video producer and, Mm -hmm. and a creative type at the time. You know, now we do have a lot more. There's, you know, there's a lot more competition. So I was a little more rare then than than I am now. It doesn't sound, you know, at the time in 2008, when I was telling people, oh, I'm producing videos for Ron Paul. And they're like, oh, does that help? I'm like, yeah, it's raising millions of dollars, right? Like that was a big deal to have conservative and libertarian producers of, of creative content. And now it's like, in terms of social media and things like that, if the left wasn't fighting us, so hard on social media like i just got banned from facebook like a couple hours ago like for posting a very very innocuous not even a meme just a very innocuous opinion um if it wasn't for them fighting us as hard as they're fighting us i think we would control most of social media because as you know the left can't meme and <laughs> yeah, I know. they might be creative but they can't they cannot mix the the left cannot mix Politics with art. The last time, no sense of humor. Yeah, there, yes. The last time that the left or that that Hollywood successfully created propaganda was Casablanca. That was the last time that Hollywood made a great piece of art that was a political propaganda piece. You bring up Casablanca. I swear, Austin, there's been no fewer than two dozen times in my life that I thought I gotta watch that movie. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. But it was a, it was a war propaganda piece. Okay. It was it was set up, created specifically to send the message that the Allies were morally superior, and it it did its job very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the left hasn't done anything like that since. There, wow. there, you know, there hasn't been a propaganda piece that the left has done. Success. Every time you see a leftist meme, it's like a wall of text. <laughs> Right, just some unfunny, you know, right. completely factually inaccurate, but it, that's why they have to the silence us. That's why they have to shut us down because it's too effective. What was Beto O'Rourke's quote? He said, "Powerful conservative memes. We have to fight back against that's powerful right. conservative <laughs> memes. They are powerful. Our message is yeah. extremely powerful." What is it? The, the, the liberals were complaining about Ben Shapiro is like number one shared on Facebook. Mm. I'm surprised they allow him to operate. Yeah, but he's too powerful. You know, they come after guys like you and me and try and shut us. I don't know if you've got the the blue check mark. Do yeah, you, yeah, you got I, the blue I do. check mark. I, I I've run into trouble one time on Twitter. That's the only place I am. And uh, I literally all I did was link to a montage of raw C-SPAN footage. Of Joe Biden touching little kids, like and that's oh his there's uh, no sniffing. Com- yeah there's no commentary yeah. there's nothing it's literally just raw C-SPAN footage, and I was told that was inappropriate for the community, which I think by that's de facto admitting that what Biden was doing was inappropriate, is it not? No commentary from me. No commentary. You in the know link. that the fact is it's not about what Biden was doing. <laughs> it was the fact that it, you painted him in a light. That was anything other than flattering. And the year was 2020, so yeah. campaign yep. season. Oh, yeah. Remember the whole freaking 
Hunter Biden story from the New York Post that they completely oh, yeah. shut down? Oh, yeah. And then they had to yeah. admit that it was later that it was right. real? Right, right. So how did you get from going into musical theater then into politics? Was it was it Ron Paul that got yeah. you involved? Yeah, it was Ron Paul. I mean, in 2007, uh, I was living in New York City, and uh, I saw Ron Paul's... He had that famous moment with, with Rudy Giuliani where he said that uh, where Rudy Giuliani was outraged by Ron Paul's statement about the reasons why Osama bin Laden attacked us. And I had not heard a Republican expressing a view of our foreign policy like Ron that day, which, and, and the fact that he was so, that Giuliani was so outraged about, I had never heard of this guy, the 72 year old kind of cranky sounding uh, OBGYN from Texas. I was like, well, let me, let me learn more about this guy. And so I started producing, and you can go back and view some of them on YouTube. They're terrible, like, you know, filmed with a, a potato um, videos for Ron Paul, but they would just get hundreds of thousands of views. And then the Tea Party started, right? And then we started making Tea Party videos. And at that point in time, if you were a libertarian making Tea Party videos on YouTube, you were the biggest deal in the world. And one thing led to another. What happened was that I went and worked for the Libertarian National Committee in D.C., which is the the sort of professional operation that runs the Libertarian Party's business in D.C. Worked for them for a year, did some think tank stuff for another year. But uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, you might know, mm -hmm. had seen my work and he was doing a podcast. And so I, I gathered together all the forces and marshaled our forces and said, let's try and get Judge Napolitano's own show on Fox. Mm -hmm. And that was successful. The judge got his own show, and he hired me to go work for Fox. The producer, right? I became a producer. Yeah. And um, it was that was the moment that really kick-started my career. Because at that point, I was a guerrilla street producer. <laughs> right, okay. And then when I'm working at Fox, it's a different story. You know, you, you get a lot. That gold star on your resume. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with for two years of freedom fighting at Fox with the judge, you know, we had Ron Paul's you know, 2012 campaign that we went through and, you know, even more millions of young people get on, got involved with that campaign until we got to around 2015 where, you know, I, I ran for president, you know, mm -hmm. after Rand Paul started to look like he wasn't going to be viable. But, you know, it didn't used to be that we looked at art as something separate from politics. It, it didn't used to be that we looked at these industries or at least these these kinds of thoughts as separate right right now we really like to separate things like sports and art from our politics and our in our public sphere yeah. but it used to be in ancient greece that you were uh, an athlete who competed in the games and you also were an actor who performed in the theater and you wrote plays and you wrote plays that were about politics and you know and you wrote you know the 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 women of lisa strada right you made political messages with your plays hmm. and and so nowadays we as in our modern culture we kind of say oh well art is not the same as politics but i kind of see them as the same thing right philosophy can be expressed in art just because the left doesn't do it very well and just because conservatives i think it more i think even more than the left the conservatives do see art and politics as separate items um I, I don't think that that's the case. And I think the more that we sort of see ourselves as whole, uh, take a holistic approach to these different thought patterns, the more, I mean, the more 
of a whole person you really are. So I don't see them as kind of separate things. People, but isn't isn't it funny the way you ask that question is to say, huh? Those those two things right. don't seem to go together. But yeah. I kind of see that they do. No, and and it's an interesting discussion. Absolutely, uh, a recent guest here on the podcast, Ellen Wheeler, was um, she came from an art background, if you will, uh, in that she was an actress involved with soap operas. And she told the story in our conversation about how she ended up working for Freedom Works. And she talks about how, and it's a previous episode um, uh, at themikeshow.com if you want to go check it out. But she talked about this encounter or this, this um, experience she had with her inbox. She gets an email during the campaign 2012 Obama and one from Romney. And the Romney one was like, come to this entrepreneurship, blah, 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 right? And the Obama was uh, a video of a kid who had lost his dad. This is why you've got to get Obamacare, blah, 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 right? And it really touched the heartstrings in this video as opposed to this stuffy email, come to our entrepreneurial discussion, you know? And so absolutely, you, you're, you're hitting a home run with that whole connection with art and politics, which I think is absolutely something that is so, or at least has been, outside of the comfort zone of Republicans and conservatives, whereas social media now has provided that canvas for the memes, for the, the, the pithy quick comments that actually are biting, yet they make a point and they get right to people, and that's why it has to be shut down. Yeah, well, we're talking about masculinity a lot lately. Masculinity is a big question. I don't know if you've been seeing Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri. He's been out talking about liberals' attack on masculinity. In a way, you know, we have this conversation about toxic masculinity. In a way, we, we as men, we do sort of self-segregate in a way, right? We do see certain pursuits as masculine and certain pursuits not as masculine. And we, you know, because I remember specifically being in high school, you know, not playing uh, sports and being more attracted to you know, doing Shakespeare and, and being in plays and art and theater and, you know, being told that, you know, this this is what you want to do. These are the masculine pursuits. And these are not masculine pursuits, right? That you shouldn't pursue these kind of pursuits if you want to be considered a real man. And I was just chafed at that because mm. the, some of the greatest men that I admired were men who were in the arts. Clint Eastwood, right? Men that I looked up to. John Wayne, right? These, you know, very traditional forms of masculinity that they were able to express. Mm. But then, it, you know, at, at the time, it, it really even got me thinking about what is it that we define, how do we define masculinity? And I think I agree with Josh Hawley that masculinity is under attack, but that I feel like we're ill-equipped to have a discussion about what needs to change in terms of modern masculinity in order us to, again, become more holistic men. Like, like if... Let's say, for example, you had a spouse as a man, like my father, after my mother died, he wasn't equipped to offer the kind of emotional support that, you know, my little sister who was you know, adopted, she was five years old. He wasn't equipped by his own parents and by society at the time to sort of deal with that emotional need, the emotional needs that were required. Right to raise a young girl. And, you know, I was like 14 at the time too. So like I could have used a little bit of emotional support at that time. And what do you do? Do you go to therapy? Right. I mean, that's kind of like what we do, but I mean, I, and I hate to say this cause my wife is a therapist. Sorry, Steffi, but I mean, 
You should maybe you shouldn't need therapy, right? Maybe if we had healthier family lives, and maybe mm. if we had a healthier view of masculinity, mm. and took a more holistic approach to what it means to be a man, that that might actually create a stronger, healthier sense of masculinity. So then, what Josh Hawley is complaining about men retreating into porn or video games or what have you, then you wouldn't need to feel that desire to detach. From society, because as a man who's holistic, you're you're confident in your sexuality. You're confident in your masculinity. No leftist can attack your your masculinity. Mm-hmm. You don't need to feel, you don't need to do these other things in, to replace what it means to be a man, right? You can you know engage in healthy activities, and it does you know they they could be considered masculine activities even if society at this point in time doesn't see them as such. Being in a play, writing a play, right? Like learning how to dance. You know, a lot of men's problem with being able to get women is because they can't dance. If 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 men knew how to dance, and I'm a good dancer, okay, but when I try and teach my guy friends to dance, uh-huh. it is it is like taking a fish out of water, uh-huh. right? But I mean, like, see, I'm not Gene but Kelly, right? I, 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 yeah, I, I got married so young, and you know, <laughs> you didn't have to learn. Twenty one, I, I didn't have to. I didn't have to learn, but I see your point. Absolutely. You were saying uh, Gene Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. Great Danny point. Danny Kaye, mm-hmm. right? Tap dancing uh, Danny Kaye. I mean, like, are you going to tell me that, like, Danny Kaye or that, uh, that Gene Kelly or who was the guy that uh, played the the the, um, the gangsters in the Mafia movies back day? But he's, George M. Cohan. Okay. You know, you're a grand old flag. You know, are you going to yeah. tell me that those guys weren't masculine <laughs> guys? Of course they were. I love it. But, I mean... The, the, but here's the thing, when I'm saying this, I know that some men are out there listening are cringing because they're thinking to themselves, oh, oh, oh this isn't me. I, I'm not going to learn how to dance. Oh, learn how to mm. dance. Like that. But I mean, like, that's a beautiful sign of masculinity, right? Like men learning how to dance, that was not always considered to be mm. something that was unmasculine. Yeah. So I guess, you know, one of the things that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to self we'll have to have some self-reflection as men. And not compartmentalize ourselves so much in our own minds, but we self-police, right? We self we police each other. Mm. We police each other, and we say, you know, you got to behave like this if you want to be a man. You got to behave like this. We can manage that. Very very small compartment. It, it compartmentalizes it, and I think it kind of like robs us in a sense of again having that holistic experience. And being able to express ourselves fully creatively as men, and in some ways, because I think masculinity is much more uh, represented on the right side politically, mm-hmm. it's if we can't holistically express ourselves creatively, then how can we ever make art that represents, you know, how can we make architecture? Where are the beautiful buildings that are being created by artists that are that have a right wing bent like we're you know when you look at some of the old art uh the architecture of europe you know where is that in the united states today right anyways no you no. go on and on so where does your um um modeling career fit oh, into sh- your to your timeline huh? uh, was that a good segue you like that one <laughs> So yeah, there's and, a, there's and what did you model? I have no, I literally have no idea other than like I saw a blurb somewhere that said. Uh, All right, so it, I, we're not on, we're not videoing this, right? No, so, no, so they can't see me. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't enlightened the audience. Right, so, you know, here so you model folks. clothes, right? <laughs> okay. I model clothes, but I mean, I'm all, so I, I did a Microsoft campaign once where oh, cool. like I was like, in, you know, you're selling computers, but I was like a computer salesman and. I did some underwear modeling, oh, right? Really? But yeah, I used to be, 
I used to look different than I do now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but they can't see me. I'm 40 now. So, okay. but I mean, you know, I, you know, I was into martial arts a lot. So I did, you know, martial arts, yeah. uh, uniforms yeah 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 i still do but it doesn't matter anymore (laughs) because nobody cares when you're 40 um so yeah i I did some of that and um you know when you're trying to make it in this industry like Mm -hmm. you'll do anything you know when you're 20 years old you're gonna do whatever you can do to like so yeah there's some stuff you know there i was surprised honestly that when i ran for president that some of the media that i did did not come out or even for senate especially as a republican Mm -hmm. i'm honestly kind of shocked because you know, they came after me for some like comments that I had made in a couple of interviews that were like, you know, oh, scandalous. But like, there were some photographs that I was like, I'm kind of glad that they didn't go Wait, dig time for out. that stuff. Time out a second. Oh, are well, you are you suggesting that right now these photos are out there yeah. and available and still haven't been revealed? Yeah. Well, because the people will hear this and they will go and find no, them. No, they won't because they don't. Because I'm not. Nobody cares. Because when you're not running for office, nobody gives a crap. But uh, yeah, if I ever run for something again, maybe. But, right. Yeah. Well, I will. I will promise you this. Ooh. Those images will not be discovered by me yeah. because there's no way I'm typing into my search bar Austin Peterson underwear pics. Nudes. Yeah. You will. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, now, how did you end up on a Conan O'Brien skit? Oh, that was like that was pretty luck. Pretty sheer luck i like to th- you know people are always like oh you're on conan o'brien and I, I like to be like oh yeah you know whatever no big deal <laughs> but it was i was working at feo schwartz the toy store uh-huh. and he, they filmed a special there and i was like the top salesman for the skateboards at the time and conan wanted to learn how to ride the skateboards okay so they filmed a segment with me teaching conan o'brien how to skateboard so what year was this this would have been like 2005 or six okay. or so 2005 okay. or six in new york uh-huh. and uh so that it's just a brief segment of me teaching conan o'brien okay. how to do a skateboard well so, i gotta look for yeah. that yeah it, that's on youtube, YouTube. that right, is on cool. youtube and you can I, find it yeah. all right very yes. cool uh those but, were the modeling days those were the modeling yeah. days gotcha <laughs> now we mentioned earlier you uh host a morning talk show yeah kwos so it's yeah. it's a morning talk show in in jefferson city it's it's the the political talk show uh, of the city, and um, I've been doing that now for two and a half years. Uh, Jefferson City itself is a small town, but it's the state capital, so its kind of reputation is bigger mm-hmm. than its population, right? It's a kind of a it's a very rural community, even though right. it's a mm-hmm. you know the capital city. And God, I just you know when I first got there, it was so funny because I had never worked in radio. And apparently when you take over like a radio show and you, the per, the guy before you is like the good old boy who like leaves town after, people don't like that. No. And they do not like it when these young punks come in and then take over the show. And I got so much hate mail and mm-hmm. I was so nervous because I thought they're going to fire me because the, the amount outpouring of hatred. We got letters. People wrote letters, like hand wrote letters. Yeah. Please get Austin Peterson off of the show, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> now, what did the, did the guy that you replaced, did he retire? Did he Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, okay. Yeah, yeah. He had been around. He'd been around for a long so, time. He was yeah, going to retire. But, but, but regardless of the story. It doesn't matter. It doesn't the matter. audience yeah. doesn't like I've seen it, it from both People sides. People don't like yeah. change, man. Mm-hmm. They don't like change. Yeah. And so it actually took me a couple of years. But like, you know, when you live your life in public and, and you know, as I've like gone through this process of like being engaged and getting married and I tell these stories on the air and it's a very conservative community. And, and honestly, the pandemic, I think, mm. really sort of solidified my place in the community as the kind of like, host of the show for the community Mm. 
because when the pandemic hit, people were really afraid. It didn't matter if you were, you know, it wasn't this red state, blue state thing. It was, you know, we're all in this together. And so at the time, you know, even though I'm kind of a jokester and I like to goof around, like it wasn't a joke at the time. Like we were working very hard to ensure that we were getting good information out to the public mm -hmm. about what was happening with toilet paper shortages right. and, and all that stuff, because this was life and death. And, and people, you know, we all thought it was the plague, the black plague revisited and we didn't know what we know now. Right. So I think that people really changed their attitude towards me on the show mm. when that happened because they learned to trust me because I wasn't just an ideologue. I wasn't just, you know, obviously I opposed the lockdowns and, you know, now I oppose the mandates, but, you know, I had people come in to the show to explain what was going on from a, 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 an expert perspective that were members of the community that people could trust. And I, and I asked real questions to like our county health officials and honestly, I feel like, you know, I've done a lot of like national campaigns and big stuff that's like, you know, Fox and all that. But I honestly feel like some of my most important work that I've done has just been holding our local public officials accountable mm -hmm. on our local radio program to answer difficult questions about things like, you know, I'm hearing that at the city council, you're talking about shutting down businesses. Do you have any uh, evidence that shows that there is a good reason for shutting down businesses that will actually, you know, contribute to public health in this community, right? And when, when politicians had to answer those kinds of questions <laughs> in our community, honestly, I feel like, you know, I'm not the entire reason, but I think that, I think that I'm part of the reason why many of our local politicians backed off mm -hmm. from those ideas of lockdowns, because they knew if they came on the show, they'd have to answer the kind of questions that, that you wouldn't have to answer if you were the type of person who, and I'll, you probably know this type, there are a lot of people in our industry who are, what do they call it, patters to the throne, people who just want to get close to power, mm. people who just, you know, people who want to have access to the politicians. Yeah. They don't want to rock the boat too much because, you know, the people who make it in our industry big tend to be the biggest butt kissers right. and tend to be the biggest people, you know, Glenn excluded, of course, <laughs> uh, and, you know, but they tend to be the type of people right. who, who don't speak truth to power, right. because if you speak truth to power, you won't get access to Joe Biden and you won't get the interview on ABC or CBS or NBC or whatever. So I feel like my, some of my best work fighting for Liberty has been as a small town radio talk show host yeah. talking to public health officials in my county, holding them accountable and asking them difficult questions that, that, that have made them make decisions that truly impacted the lives of our citizens. So would you say that earning your audience's trust has probably been the most rewarding aspect of having a radio show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Turning their their ideas from this one guy had the nerve to say it to my face. I couldn't believe it. He says, "Why don't you go back to Kansas City where you're from?" Blah blah blah. And I was uh -huh. kind of like, "Oh God." Um, <laughs> and the, having that attitude change, you could almost feel it in the community yeah. where it went from this kind of cold. People weren't. We didn't get callers. In the beginning, nobody mm -hmm. called, nobody texted, mm -hmm. and now it's like all day, you nice. know, in the morning, texts okay. and calls, and and you know, people say, you know, calling you by your nickname and things like that. And so, yeah, I think you could feel it, the people's trust and people's attitude change. And now I'm the guy that if they fired me or let me go or whatever, they'd be like, you know, bring back Austin. We're tired of this new guy. Oh, nice. Get rid of this new guy. Okay. I feel like, you know, that I've, you know, <laughs> yeah ingratiated myself in this community and i've been a part of a lot of communities you know libertarian party mm -hmm. the republican party you know freedom ninja groups and all these things 
but this is probably the healthiest and most rewarding community that I've been a part of. So did I pick up or was it just a ambiguous example there where do you have a nickname? I have a lot of nicknames. Oh, let's hear yes. them. I want to okay. hear these. Uh, so <laughs> So my 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 given nickname is Augie. Okay. And cuz Austin comes from St. Augustine. Okay. And my brother called me Augie as a kid. So, so people who are like this is just usually my family calls me Augie or Aug. Okay. My middle name is Wade. Uh, sometimes people call me Wad or like Wade, you know. <laughs> okay. But like nicknames that I've had over the years um the Freedom Ninja, but I didn't. Oh, yeah. Okay, I didn't give myself these nicknames. All right, just so you know. <laughs> so, I, and I don't tell people to call me this. Okay, <laughs> uh, but the the Freedom Ninja nickname came because I don't know if you know Nick Gillespie from Reason. Yeah, he, yeah. So I was at Fox one day, and um, I was like the judges, like young hotshot producer. And Eric Bowling, who was at Fox at the time, was trying to figure out who was running Judge Napolitano's social media page and blowing up all these likes and all this stuff. <laughs> so he walks into the dressing room, and there was like this PR lady who knew me at the time. And Eric Bowling was in the, the dressing room, and he goes, does anybody know who runs the judge's Facebook page? And uh, the PR lady goes, oh, it's the ninja. And everybody, like all these famous people, <laughs> Harris Faulkner, all these Fox people were like, Turned around the, in the makeup chairs, apparently, and I wasn't there for this. And and they go, they go, who's the ninja? And she goes, it's the Freedom Ninja, Austin Peterson. <laughs> this is how the story, how it goes. And then I walk in the room later, and Nick Gillespie walks up to me, and he goes, so oh, I no. hear you're the Freedom Ninja. Oh, and I was no. just like, what? What is that? And he told me the story later. But it was just because, like, I, cause I was a bit all about freedom, and I did karate. So so that's oh, where it came from. Oh, gotcha. So, so that's where it came from. I like from. it. Okay. Alex Jones gave me a nickname. Oh no. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Alex got oh, no. one from Alex Jones. Was actually. A, was it a Was it a nice nickname? No. Was, no. no. So he called me a <laughs> Justin Bieber lookalike. And uh. this, again, this was when I was younger. But uh, <laughs> but um, but and 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 a Leaf Garrett lookalike. And Justin so, Bieber yeah, look Justin like, Bieber lookalike. Leaf Garrett over there. Like, it's exactly what it sounded like. Yeah. He, <laughs> he was mad at me because I said 9/11 wasn't an inside job. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I know. Was not. You I was not. not. I was said not. it was not. Was right. Not I said it was not an inside job. job. And I was like, you know, debunking it. Uh -oh. And, um, so he got mad at me and did this whole thing. He was like, here's our champion, Liberty champion, Liberty, Liberty champion. <laughs> and so people started calling me Leaf Bieberson. Oh, that's kind of cool. So right? Le Leaf, if you ever see somebody call me Leaf, that's what that is. So it's like there Leaf Garrett, Justin Bieber. <laughs> Leaf, Leaf Bieberson. So Leaf, Leaf Bieberson, Lib yeah. Liberty Beebs. Wow, you do have a lot of nicknames. I'm glad I pursued the this. The Ninja, Freedom Ninja, <laughs> Augie, Augie P, AP. Uh -huh. Those okay. are all, yeah, so a few. I like it, I like it. Okay, so um, then what would you say as, as having not been in the radio business uh, until the last few years, yeah. what has been the, I guess, biggest challenge and biggest surprise as now a radio host, would you say? Hmm. Biggest challenge, maybe the audience. You no, know, yeah, it's it's. Maybe, maybe that's I am the same. not what you would consider a traditional conservative. Uh -huh. Okay, right. I'm a little bit more from the sex, drugs, and rock and roll part of the Republican. Yeah, party. but you're pro life. Uh, yeah, I, mean, it, I am. I am, and I'm not religious. Right. Right. Uh, so you know, I got, and I'm from a very Catholic community, and so you know, I won't say I deal with deal with that issue with kid gloves. But you know, I've always been respectful to religious people, and mm -hmm. and um, most of my friends, I think, are religious and supporters have always been religious people. But I think the pro-life issue is, of course, a big part of that. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, the biggest challenge I think has been to assert myself and not to back down from the views that I hold, which are out of step with the audience. Because honestly, I know going in every day what my audience wants to hear. Mm. And if I want to be the, you know, Glenn Beck one day on radio, then if I want to be that big, you know, and I'm not saying Glenn Beck did this, but I mean, traditionally you want to tell your audience what they want to hear you. And like, you know, I'm just not saying I don't throw out red meat. I do. But there are a lot of times when I know that the audience is not going to agree with what I have to say. I know that the, I mean, and sometimes I get texts when people are kind of like, you know, what are, what, what are you smoking kid? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but the biggest challenge for me is staying true to myself, even though, even though I, I think it's dangerous sometimes. It's dangerous because they do call the boss. They will complain. They do have the dial-in number. I have had complaints from people who do not like what I have to say when my set when it's out of step with traditional conservative views. When it's something like religion or immigration or one of those issues. So that's been the biggest challenge um, is to s still say what I believe, even though I know. And I'll I'll usually just be like, I know you're not gonna like this, but here it comes. Um, and I think people, you know, appreciate the honesty. You don't get as far with honesty professionally, but yeah, no, you're, you're I, absolutely I, right. But I've, you know, I'm happy with what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm happy where I'm at. And and you live your life. Uh, your job security is basically three months at a time. Yeah. Right with the ratings periods. So to agree, you know what? You know what is funny is that we're such a small market. Uh huh. No ratings. No ratings. Yay. I, I, you know, I get, you know, I still get critiqued. I still have to do sure. the whole like sit air down every yeah, air stuff. checks. Yeah. yeah, I still got to do that. And my bosses, you know, they like me, but I can improve, and I, I, everybody can improve. Gotcha. It's actually kind of nice. They don't have that that kind of same responsibility cool. in a sense. It That's is cool. It is. You know, you just have to. Yeah, you have to sell advertising. Right, you can't make your advertisers angry. Obviously, I can't be like Culligan is terrible, right? <laughs> but um, which is just part of the business. But sure. um, uh, yeah. So that's 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 just how cool. it is. All right. So when you have any downtime, <laughs> right? Well, what kind of hobbies? Uh, I mean, do you have anything you like to do in your spare time? Three D printing. So I, I kind of so a lot of the libertarian stereotypes I fulfill. You know, <laughs> massive amount of weaponry <laughs> and like, Bitcoin has to be involved. Bitcoin. <laughs> Cryptocurrency yeah, yeah. investing. Um, yeah, but I'm really into 3D printing. My buddy cool. sent me a 3D printer because he wanted me to talk about it and print guns, obviously. Yeah, but, <laughs> hey, I want you to talk about this and print me some and print guns. me some guns. <laughs> <Yeah. right? laughs> what, what's the biggest thing you've uh, 3D printed? Oh, the biggest thing. Uh, biggest thing. A car. You should print a car. Uh, <laughs> the biggest thing, probably a gun. But um. Yeah. In terms of, uh, I printed this monkey butler thing recently that I, I'm still working on it, but it's like, so when I uh, got married, you know, you have this wedding ring, I'm like paranoid about losing it. So I like printed this monkey butler with like a uh -huh. tray and he holds the ring at night. So you put your ring on the tray of the monkey butler. <laughs> So I put that. How tall is the monkey butler? It's it's I don't know. It's probably twelve inches high. So about a foot tall. Okay. Right? So monkey it's, it's butler. It's like on the on the nightstand. Yeah, it's just on the nightstand. Little monkey <laughs> butler. So I could you know pick up my ring in the morning. But That's funny. it's it, it is kind of fun. You can it, you find all these ways to kind of like do these do it yourself projects. Like it's a hobby, but it's kind of also like hey I need a coat rack, you know, or it's like hey I need um it, for, it, it's really useful if like you do do it yourself projects around the home where like you have some plastic item in the home that breaks or even like a car part that's plastic that breaks mm -hmm. you can just copy it right right just make a copy of it yeah. right you don't have to go take it to the shop and spend six hundred dollars 
wait two or three days to get a part ordered in, just make it. Okay, so obviously I've heard of 3D printers and I'm, I'm familiar. Glenn's demonstrated on his show before. But where do you go to buy like the raw materials, like the the plastic or whatever? eBay or not eBay, uh, Amazon. Is it just? Wh- it's just like a. It's called a filament. Okay. And so you basically you buy like a spindle. Okay. Okay. Of a filament, and Got then it. the filament feeds down into the hot end, and the hot end just melts it, and then melts it into the pattern of the thing that you want to okay. make. Okay. So the price of the 3D printer aside. How much did it cost you to create the foot-high monkey butler, for example? Mm, maybe like seventy-five cents. Whoa! Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is that like, and that's why the government like freaks out about uh-huh. it when it comes to guns because it's like <laughs> typically if you want to go, so like they have these things called eighty percent lowers, where it's like you can go and get like a pre-assembled gun that's like the the lower of a gun, and then you just have to kind of like complete it. Well, those cost a hundred bucks online. It costs a dollar um, yeah. in terms of parts, like at wow. home. So you're bringing down the cost of manufacturing firearms by like a large. You still have to buy some metal parts, uh-huh. yeah. right? You still have to go buy the metal slide for your Glock, sure. and you still have to buy like some of the pins and things like that. But yeah. as for like the lower, and here's the thing: the lower is the part that the government regulates. So if you 3D print guns, you 3D print ghost guns. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can put a serial print number on your gun if you want, but you also don't have to. You can also 3D print a gun without a serial part. So then, you know, that's why Joe Biden and, you know, California Democrats are freaking out because they're like, oh my God, ghost guns. Right. So yeah. it's like, but that's that's freedom right there. Right. right. Yes. Now, what is the um, price range on a 3D printer these days? So the one that I have is 220 bucks. <laughs> 220 bucks. And I've already printed. A lot of things that are worth more than two hundred twenty dollars. Oh my! Goodness. And it's kind of fun too. So it's like if I go to a conference, I printed like these little three D George Washington on a Buddha. So like George Washington head, but on a Buddha body, right, with like a big belly, oh. and you know, tchotchkes and stuff. And like you know, if you print that for twenty cents and sell it for five bucks, uh-huh. you know, yeah, that's. I mean, you're manufacturing, right? Nice. So, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, so what is, say, the Austin Peterson favorite music genre? Ooh, so, you know, different times in my life, I have different genres. If you talked to me in college, it would have been emo and punk rock. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's more hip-hop, EDM, uh, trap, and um, funnily enough, a lot of, like, New Orleans jazz. Oh, wow. Like old school 30s and 40s jazz, oh, yeah. So like you know, Fallout soundtrack kind of stuff, right? Okay. Um, but um, <laughs> most, if I'm in the car, I'm listening to Chill Step. Um, I was in dubstep for a little while, but I've kind of calmed down now. So, <laughs> you know, Chill Step is good. I'll turn on soul radio, right? A lot of soul. Oh wow, soul music. Channel okay. 49 on Sirius XM. If you listen to Sirius, yeah. Um, and so it's going to be for me channels 40 on Sirius XM is going to be 49, 50, 51, 52, 53. So you're going to get your soul town and then you're going to go up there to like, you know, to chill step trap and hip hop. Okay. Right? Yeah. They're all, they're all conglomerated. That, yeah. So like hip hop is like the hardcore, like, you know, bad word saying hip hop is like channel 43, 44. <laughs> And then you go from there between 40 to 53 is right where I hang out on the dial. Okay, I got yeah. you. So now this next question, this isn't fair to ask uh, uh, on the fly here. This is this is where it would have come in handy if I hadn't have just grabbed you off the street and said, right. come in here. Right. But uh, if you could keep only five possessions, what would they be? My wedding ring. Mm-hmm. 
See, it's not fair, is it? To That's tough. Yeah. Uh, five things for the possession. Your 3D printer, because then you could print anything yeah. you, you needed, right? Yeah, but I don't have a sentimental attachment to it. I like see. my my uh, probably, probably one of the guns my father gave to me as a kid, mm -hmm. just because like you know when your father like probably the first gun my dad gave gave me was a 22. So that 22 would be number two, just because there's you know real strong sentimental bond there with that. Uh, that'd be number two. Um, I have a sword, mm. a World War One ceremonial officer sword that my mother bought for me when I was 11 years old, wow. and that, at a garage sale of all places. And that was a big deal for me because I was really into knights and shining or King Arthur stuff when I was a kid. Mm. So that sword. The gun my father got me, my wedding ring, those are three things. Your ninja outfit. <laughs> yeah, my ninja <laughs> uniform. No. Mm. I, it's hard for me to say. Yeah. I have to think about it a little longer. But yeah. probably those three objects are kind of like my most treasured items that I've hel held for most of my life. You know, And then my wedding ring is more recent, of course. Of course, yeah. So you mentioned your mom buying the sword. Right. Would you say, and I'm just assuming, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, correct mm. me, would you say that your mom dying was the biggest turning point in your life? Sure. Yeah. You, you, you know, nowadays we're kind of coddled as a society when we were growing up. You know, you can you delay adulthood these days until you're, what, 27, you can be on your parents' insurance. Mm -hmm. But when you're 14 and your mom dies, you are a grown-up mm -hmm. at that time. It's, it's at that point in time you become an adult. Um, and, the, and I knew that I had become an adult when... A few weeks after she passed away, I had come home from work, from school, and I was on the farm, and at the farmhouse was locked, so I was locked out of the house. And we have this second-floor balcony where you can uh, get up there, and there's a door. You, you can't get up there, like, by walking up there. You can only get up there if you do, like, a ladder, and that door was always unlocked. So I went and I got a ladder, and I was climbing up there, and I slipped, and I fell onto the concrete pavement from the second floor. And there was no one around, okay? Yeah. And there were no cell phones at that time either. Mm -hmm. So I slipped, fell on the concrete, jumped up to check if I was okay. But I was in pain, man. I was in so much physical pain. My dad wasn't there. My brother was gone to college. My sister was being babysat somewhere. And I, I was like, I wasn't, and nothing was broken, but I was just in a lot of pain. And, you know, the first thing that you shout is mommy, mm -hmm. right, when you're that age. And then you realize, okay, well, obviously, mom, you're not going to see your mom. Mom's not here. Dad's not here. Brother's not here. Sister's not here. No one's here. No one's coming to help. So at that moment, that second, I realized I was alone and that no one was coming to, to help. No one was going to comfort you. I mean, you could, I could call my dad, but what's he going to say? Nothing broken? Okay, well, you know, I'll see you when I get home, right? But... That was the moment when I was like, okay, mm -hmm. it's time to grow up. It's time mm -hmm. to be a man. It, there are going to be times, and maybe this is one of those things of masculinity that you have to realize, is that for most of us, when we need help or just need comfort, no one's coming to help. Mm. You're going to have to learn to be strong. Yeah. You're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself because there are going to be times in your life when there's not going to be anybody there to comfort you. Yeah, and, and she died of cancer. 
Yeah, she did, but she was victimized in part by that. Uh, you yeah. heard about this guy? Yeah, this is what I want to ask you. Yeah, the Robert Courtney guy. He he diluted chemotherapy drugs. He did this to thousands of patients in the Kansas City area. And what was the reasoning behind that? Just money. money? Yeah. yeah, agreed. He, he was what the left, you know, claims sure. capitalists are all like. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing was, was that it was the capitalists who found him out because the insurance companies found out, were the ones who found out he was selling a lot more product than he was buying yeah okay so it was their profit motives they were like hey how's he selling all this stuff then more than he's buying and so they worked with the the doctor dr hunter at the time my mother's doctor to test the chemotherapy drugs and found that he had been doing it to thousands of people right so wow i'm so sorry oh yeah uh okay so is there an experience in your life where you've been more scared than ever was it laying on the pavement there as a kid or was there other times in your life maybe where you're like you look back and you think man that's the most frightened i've ever been uh you know i've had situations where you know you live in new york city or you get followed mm. right so you know in terms of like physical danger like you feel fear but yeah you know like that feeling of lon i think loneliness is a f is like one of those things like you feel that kind of fear loneliness is a fear yeah, that's right. Good. You feel that fear. I've never heard it described like that, but I absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah. You're the fear of being alone. And I remember living in New York City when I first moved there and was walking through the subway in Times Square. And I'm just dirt poor, right? I can barely afford like a, a warm enough jacket for this climate because Missouri winters are nowhere near as harsh as New York City mm. uh, winters. And I just remember kind of like, what you know walking through the cold subway tunnel being surrounded by people and feeling lonelier than i had ever felt before because i had no friends no family no job yet right like trying to get a job and like that i remember that feeling fear because of that loneliness because you just you don't know what's going to happen to yeah. you right you kind of you move to new york the big city on a wing and a prayer like as the farm boy from peculiar you you know you think you know, and at that time I didn't know karate, right? So I, you know, <laughs> and you don't even realize how vulnerable you are when you you can't defend yourself. But um, I think at that moment, I think I remember that morning how cold I felt, and how I was like, I can't afford a really warm jacket, and I need to get a warm jacket, and no one can help me. There's nobody around, even in proximity. It's not like I can just like. And my, ha I lived in, I had like a apartment in New Jersey. So the commute to get home was like three hours, but you know, somehow I made it somehow I, you know, you know, pushed through, but I think, you know, that feeling of loneliness, um, you know, and then like you have breakups in your life, you know, or, you know, you were married at 21, but like I had, <laughs> you know, breakups and like, you know, there's that feeling of fear of loneliness that you get after something like that, where yeah. it's kind of like, what's wrong with me? You know, what's what what you know, why am I not good enough or things like that? So like, you know, those are psychological feelings that you feel. So like, you know, maybe I think part of the reason why I'm kind of such an extrovert is a desire to not be alone. Hmm. Right? Interesting. And, yeah. I, and I, it's not that I don't appreciate, you know, being alone now, right. you know, now that but now that I have friends in a warm home and a say, you know, a spouse and a dog and all that stuff. But yeah, I remember specifically that one day, that feeling of loneliness and being afraid. Yeah. Afraid of failure. Okay. You know, fear, feeling afraid. I, I remember when I moved from New York to D.C. when I wasn't going to be an actor, but I got a job in D.C. and my girlfriend at the time and I were breaking up and she says, you're moving to D.C. because you failed to be an actor in New York, blah, blah, blah. 
Oh yeah. And that's a fear. You feel the fear of failure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, oh, that's a different. Uh, real dude, thing. Yeah. Uh, losing losing the presidential campaign, and then you know, every, so all of a sudden you go from everybody wants to talk to you and be your friend to mm-hmm. everybody hates you. Like it's amazing how like when you lose, like people like brand you as a loser. Like in our society, like you're only as good as your most recent accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You are only as good as your most recent accomplishment. So like after that happens and you fail and you fail those campaigns, you're only as good as what you do next. So you have to do something, you have to continue to improve yourself, right? And, you know, the things that I found that improved me in my life were the healthy relationships that I built. Martial arts was a huge... Yeah, a huge I wanted to ask life. you, how long have you, like, did, how high did you get, I guess, is my question, belts and stuff? Uh, so, so... Uh, it's better, I think, if I started briefly to tell you in the beginning how I got into it. Okay. So when I, I, I used to, I was auditioning to be, you know, doing male modeling stuff. There was a time when I first started my career where I was eating too much New York pizza. And I was fat. And I was, you know, and, and pasty. And, and, and you know, somebody told me that. A girl that I was in a show with was like, you know, you she's like, you were hot. When was that? I was like, six months ago. You know, and I was like... <laughs> Like you were hot, you need to lose weight. I was like, like oh, she was God. looking at a picture of you or something. Yeah, so oh, from college, no. from like six months before that, okay. she's like, you were hot, you need to lose weight. Ouch. And I went to an audition, and I didn't know what the audition room was for. It was for underarm deodorant, and so they told me they're like, you know, and they had me like pretend like this girl who was like six foot six was my girlfriend. She's like, oh yeah, you're just coming home from work, long day at work, and you're hanging out with your girlfriend and you're <laughs> grabbing a beer, and I'm like, that's supposed to be my girlfriend. <laughs> oh, no. and I was like, okay, you know what I mean? And I couldn't even get my arm around her because she was so tall. And they called her back, and then they were like, all right, so take off your shirt. And I was like, what? They're like, well, there's a scene where you're in the shower, you just come out, and you've got your shirt off. And so, like, take off your shirt. And I was like, oh, no. So I did. And then they're like, flex your muscles. And I was like, oh, God. And then they're like, turn around and flex your muscles. I could hear them laughing. Oh, bro. I could hear the producer, the casting director laughing. And I remember, like, I was playing video games at the time. I was playing some martial arts game. And I remember sitting on my butt and thinking, God, I wish I could do these moves. Mm. God, I wish I could do this more. Because I was really good at the martial arts video games. But I was like, you know what? I need to, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I was like 25 or 6. And so I'm walking home from an audition one day. And I see the karate studio down the street. And I just walked up and I joined. Nice. And so I've been doing it uh, consistently. I've had like a few off years since 2006. And so, and the reason why I don't have a black belt is just because right. I've had to switch schools from moving careers so many times. So I've done everything that you would need to do for a black belt, mm-hmm. but I, other than just like take a test at a school. So I know multiple different styles of karate mm-hmm. and I've done it for since 2006, right. but I don't have an accredited black belt. And you know, for those of us who are in the martial arts, we know that that's not important. Yeah. You know, I, and I don't do it to like, Get yeah, a black no, no, I, got I, you. I do it for you know the health reasons uh-huh. and self defense reasons and for you know community and you know it's a form of spirituality mm-hmm. as well, right? That you kind of fulfill meditation and Zen and you know the philosophy of self defense. I wish more libertarians took self defense classes mm-hmm. because I see, and this is when one of my biggest critiques of my fellow libertarians is that I see a lot of "Don't tread on me" shirts, but I sense a lot of of attitudes that. It, you know, it's for, it's fine if you want to be a pacifist, but we're not all pacifists. And you can have talk all, talk all day long about defending yourself. But ask yourself, if you are in Kyle Rittenhouse's shoes, do you have the stones mm. to fire the gun? 
Right. Do you, if you don't have an AR-15, do you have? Can you defend yourself in a an unarmed situation? Right. And I've had a couple of those kinds of situations in my life, and I'm glad that I did the martial arts. And it's it was those it was taking karate that changed my career because I lost the weight and I started getting cast and I got underwear modeling stuff. <laughs> right. Because you know you look better when you do karate. So. Yeah. So okay. You just mentioned there, there's been a couple of times when you've had to physically defend yourself. Like, what what happened? The first time was just for getting followed home. Okay. And so, like, I was on the subway, and um, <laughs> so when I was broke in New York, I would play guitar in the subway in Times Square for extra change, and some guy saw me and probably thought I was cute and followed me home on the subway, and I could see him, like, looking at me out of the corner of his eye. So I pretended like I was going to get off at a certain stop just to see if he would follow me, and... I got up and I was kind of watching him out of the corner of his eye. He was watching me out of the corner of his eye. And then I sat back down like I was like, oh, wrong stop. And he sat, sat back down, which showed me that he was following me. Mm-hmm. So then it wasn't like it was like, oh, I did this awesome mawashigeti and then like uchi uki and all this <laughs> stuff. No, I just palm fist pushed him. When I got up, next time I pushed him into his chair, said, stay right here. Don't get off at this station, you know, or, mm. or else. And that was like the first time that I ever had to actually physically, you know, restrain someone. But the second time was just some crackhead in Kansas City where I was sitting outside with some, and some guy got kicked out of a bar and he thought that me and my friends were talking about him or whatever because he was like drunk and on drugs. Right. And um, came up and squared up with me. And um, mm. it was, again, the, the great thing about like martial arts is it, it's not like the movies. You don't do all these, like you learn all these fancy moves in class. But it was just a front kick. I just kicked. <laughs> I just kicked him. One and done. And one and done. And he <laughs> ran away. Nice. And that's it. You don't need anything fancy. Yeah. Like the 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 sim the for martial arts or self defense, the simplest stuff is the best stuff. Yeah. You know. And I didn't even have to know jujitsu. You just had to kick a guy in the stomach. You know. And then it, it's over. <laughs> and then he it. ran away. I love it. I, I was like, it. and my and my girlfriends that, who were there at the time were all like, my hero. Yay. And then, and then when I ran for office, I was like, can you go tell people that I did that? I could have won you some the, more the, the Missouri loves Josh Hawley. So. Uh, okay, uh, I picked up some guitar playing in there. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been doing yeah, that? Yeah, so I mean, I haven't you know done it since then as much. But uh, yeah, I played guitar for a number of years. That was like my instrument. And you know, I played guitar in Times Square. And surprisingly, if you stand in Times Square long enough with a guitar and sing, if you're not bad, <laughs> you know. You, know, you don't have to wear the knockoff Elmo suit. Correct. <laughs> to make yes. money in Times Square. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And like what's what was weird about that too is that like because it's such a hub, you run into people that you know sometimes, right? Oh. Because so I like I rated my brother at one point in time, you know what I mean? He was like from Boston, he just happened to be there. That's and there funny. he was, you know, a friend from high school who happened to be in New York. But it's cause everybody goes to Times Square. Sure. So. Yeah. If you could go back in history, uh who's someone you would like to meet? Mmm. See, I didn't give you time to prepare for these I never answers. got to meet Stephen Ambrose. I hmm. would have liked to have made Stephen Ambrose a historian. His books really inspired me, got a passion for history. Wow, you know, Band one. of Brothers. Yeah. Right? I would have liked to talk to him. Um, you know, there's a lot of the founding fathers that I obviously identify with. Yeah, and who's your favorite? If you had to pick oh. one to, to sit at a bar with. Who was the one that died after Governor Morris? He was like sleeping with a married woman and he like broke How? his leg and then like went gangrenous and he died. How do I 
not know this? Okay, that's funny. Yes. I, it's also true. Yeah. They I don't teach it. you that in school, though. Okay, but so that's who you want to hang out at a bar with? Yeah. Okay, cool. The bad, I want to, you know, the Patrick Henrys, yeah, you know, the yeah. bad boys bad of the Founding Fathers. That's group. true, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That would be a good collection. <laughs> the bad boys of yeah. the founding fathers. The bad boys of liberty. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. There it is. Okay. Um, what's currently in your Amazon cart? Oh, yeah. You asked me this. Uh, so <laughs> nothing because I buy everything that I get there, but I do have a list. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, you heard me talking about uh, like martial arts stuff. So there's like mm -hmm. some, some karate books in there and okay. stuff like that. I like to read the books from like the masters and mm -hmm. compare them to my own training. But I, and then like, you know, 3D printing accessories <laughs> and things like that. Wait, accessories? Like you racing straps? Upgrade. Well, I know. Cause, oh. Well, yeah. So upgrades, right? So like, you know, rather than like plastic parts that are not as durable. Oh. Um, okay. So arid, extra, extra dry, yeah. anti-perspirant. Extra, um, extra dry. Extra, extra dry. Not extra dry. Extra, extra dry. Because I, I sweat. <laughs> um, they'll use hair conditioner. This is like called biofuel. Huh. Um, okay. It's like, it's really good. If you're a guy, it smells like sandalwood. It's yeah. really good. Even though, you know, you and me, we both kind of have the hair thing happening up there. That's, oh, yeah, we do. But for our beards, <laughs> it's really good. Okay. Really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shotokan Karate Bible. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, like, if there's a martial arts book, right? And you said you read the books by the masters and stuff. Yes. The and, and this sounds like I'm being flippant, and I promise you I'm not. Like, do they just describe moves to do? Or, like, I feel like I even need pictures or videos. Yes you know or I mean? no. Yes or no. Yeah, there are like just straight up instructional books, but like there's a spiritual aspect to okay, Japanese. Yeah, okay. To Japanese karate, and like it's kind of like the the art of war. So karate is for defense only. You know, mm. karate karate begins and ends with respect. Mm. So respectfulness, mindfulness, um, spirituality. Um, there's a dojo kun that sh most Shotokan pr practitioners will usually repeat at the end of every class, which is. Um, <clears throat> seek perfection of character, be faithful, endeavor, respect, respect others, and refrain from violent behavior. So typically you'll hear like explanations for the, the you know, how to, how to get out of fights and how to not get in fights. Oh. Most of you, what you learn in martial arts is how to avoid a situation where you'll ever have to be in a fight. Oh. Right. So that's like lesson number one. And typically like you're considered not a good martial artist if you get into a fight. Oh wow. Because your your whole thing is karate is for defense only. So huh. you know, you should be so good at your yeah. arts that no one will either ever mess with you because they're so intimidated or that you're smart enough not to put yourself in a situation where you would, you know, get in trouble. Uh, a bunch of uh like I like uh, uh, World War II propaganda posters from like both sides. I'll usually like you know <laughs> frame those. A Trigicon, um, ACOG scope for like AR-15s, mm. um, pillows, pillows, hazelnut coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. How do you buy a pillow on Amazon without trying it out? Like I'm yeah. the guy at Walmart standing in the aisle with my head on the shelf. It, it got it got five stars, so I guess <laughs> you just trusted yeah. it. Hold on, let's go back to the. Um, I don't, I don't know, it was a creed or what have you called the, the martial arts uh, code yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just a just a friendly suggestion. You can take it uh, under advisement. Maybe that should be your thing at the end of every show, every morning on your radio show, if, or maybe at the end of every Friday show. You finish with that. What do you think of that? That's your sign off. Yeah, you know, conservatives <laughs> think I'm weird enough already. <laughs> 
Okay. So as a libertarian on Conservative Talk Radio, yeah. I try not to spook the horses too much. There you go. That's a good way to put it. All right. So, you know, when they when they hear you do karate, they're kind of like, ha ha, I do pajamas and all that kind of stuff. But, it, <laughs> you know, if they actually saw what a karate class is looking for, they'd be like, the first part would be like, what is going on? Because there's a lot of this traditional bowing and kind yeah. of like, you know, repetition of like, you know, these things. And then it gets exciting and then it yeah. gets boring again. And, I, I, I did karate classes for like five minutes. Um, did you do Japanese the, karate? I don't remember what it was. I just remember, you know. Was it Shotokan? Well, you, you know, it was strip mall karate. Was it, it was his McDojo stuff? I don't know, because what it was, I was about 10 years old, yeah. Karate Kid comes out, yeah. you get a coupon at the yeah, theater, yeah, yeah. you go and do the six free lessons or whatever, yeah, yeah. and you show how uncoordinated you are, <laughs> and then you call it a career. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just don't I don't remember anything about what style it was, mm-hmm. I just know that I was not good at remembering all the moves and stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you know it takes years mm-hmm. to master it, and it's, again, it was for me, it was all about health. Yeah. It started out as like a way to lose weight, to be nimble, and honestly, like, it did change the path of my career because when I was auditioning, the fact that I knew how to fight, the fact that I could do these moves, oh cool, gave me the ability to do you know to get cast in roles that where, I would not have done. Where could we see you? Um, so you doing can, stuff. So like yeah, if you go to, I mean, if you type in uh, so the, the probably the funniest thing if you want to laugh. Oh no, is you type the exiles in YouTube. The so you, exiles. The exiles and and there's like you know that'll bring up a lot of results. The company was Cinemythic. Okay. So like cinema and then mythic, Cinemythic. And if you type in the exile Cinemythic, you'll see a trailer for an independent film that I was in where I was like wearing chain mail and had a long wig of like, and I was doing sword fighting and martial arts in this indie film <laughs> when I was in New York. So can I type in your name? Was that yeah, help I me? don't know if that'll pull it up, but, but I mean, it was called the exiles. And if you type in Cinemythic Productions, you'll find like right. a six-minute cinematic trailer, and then you'll see flashes, you know, see a bunch of dudes in wigs, and then one of those guys who is like sword fighting in the river <laughs> That's you. doing combat is me. Oh, I gotta find this. Yeah, it's it's there. It's on YouTube, okay. but it's it may be a little buried down. Like Converse Shoes commercials. If you think about it, you send it to me. Yeah, I'll be yeah, sure I to tweet this out. And okay, yeah, yeah, sure for sure. People can see for this. For sure, for cool. sure. So like that, I mean like student films, short films, okay. you know, underwear modeling. You, know, you do anything when you <laughs> first get in that I'm career. Not, yeah. So I, so I did a little bit of everything, you know, Conan O'Brien skateboard segment, yeah. things like that. And, you know, uh, my career was just really starting getting interesting because I was, you know, doing more fighting scenes and stuff like that. I was getting cast in roles where, you, you know, you get knocked out by the lead and all that stuff. And then Ron Paul came along <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden my career trajectory changed. Yeah. So, so, you know, libertarianism and, and philosophy, you know, and the arts and creativity have merged into the career to my career to where, you know, here I am now. I feel very whole, right, as a person now, especially because of my relation, my really healthy relationship with my wife, who I love and adore. I have a good relationship with the audience that that I talk to on my radio show. I have a really good, healthy relationship with my family and my friends. So, I mean, you know, I just I'm in a really good spot right now. That's cool. And career wise, like, I don't really feel the need to like be the biggest star in the world. Mm-hmm. I like my community and being a, a, a part of my community. I love my working at KWOS. I love my co-host. I love, you know, coming home to my wife at noon in this small town 
and just you know what dwelling in, a, in some relative sense of obscurity right yeah. you know in some sense uh-huh, yeah. you know like big enough to be invited to dallas to be on the blaze <laughs> small enough that you are not going to get recognized anywhere you go. Right, yeah. right although somebody texted me the other day and said that they saw an, a peterson for president bumper sticker in northeast ohio oh wow so i was kind of like oh that is old school so, so would you ever consider running for president again do you think I won't say no, but the reason why I, I think it's highly unlikely is because 2016 was just such an anomaly of a year that the I felt like the right person at the right time. I felt like like at in 2016 I felt called that it was because of the way Trump was, because of the way Hillary was, because Rand Paul, who I was supporting, was you know was being crushed and had been kind of shunted aside. Yeah. That there was a desire for the American people to hear from a reasonable, constitutional, limited government person who who was not you know kind of wild and crazy and saying all kinds of you know crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that that was what I what was needed. But you know what? I don't think the American people want people like me right now. I don't feel like the American people. Re- I think people right now more than ever want safety more than they want liberty. Um, and, and that is a shame, but, but you know what? I recognize it, it I, you know, amongst Republicans, amongst conservatives, limited government has never been more out of fashion mm-hmm. amongst Republicans. It used to be that limited government was out of fashion, but they talked about limited government, but now it is openly an authoritarian movement that is in charge yeah. of the Republican party at this point. It is a openly and nakedly blatantly authoritarian movement. And, and there's no room for somebody like me who says, I just, I don't want you to pay income taxes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, want, I don't want you to be forced to take a vaccine, wow. you know, but uh, that's not what the majority of Americans want right now. So I don't feel called because I really don't think the American people want it. But well, just because they, they might need it, but that's not what they want. Right. Well, you ran when you were 35 mm-hmm. at, the, at the minimum age. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be many, many, many more cycles uh, in your lifetime. So who knows? Maybe the time will be right once again. Maybe, but there's there's better people than me. You know, people who have served the country. You're like, like it's not happening. Leave me alone. I want to live on a farm. No, yeah, for <laughs> sure. But there are people who've sacrifice for this country more than I have. I didn't serve in the military. And I do think it's good to have a president who has served, mm. even if Biden didn't and, and Trump didn't, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't be a great president. You know, I think you can absolutely be a great president. Um, but I felt in 2016, like we had reached the bottom of the barrel and I was like, oh, well then I'm qualified. So I just, I, I think that good. there are better candidates. All right. Mm. All right. Anything you're working on right now that we need to be aware of coming down the pike? Babies? No. Uh, oh. no, 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 no. Uh, just, you want me to edit that out? Yeah, no, 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 it's fine. No, no, it's uh, no. I mean, I, you know, I really, I just try. I'm trying to be a good servant to my community. Yeah. Now, I, you know what I'm really looking for, and I'm not desperate for say, but I'm just looking for that opportunity to spread liberty in a really productive and healthy way. I just the toxicity of our politics now, I think, is. It's such a point where you can't, if you get involved with the political process at this point, you cannot help but be tainted by it. You cannot help but be destroyed in some way by it. To have something that is good and pure, you cannot help but be, you cannot be successful in politics now without playing the game to such an extent as to where you must compromise your principles and who you are. And like, I just really enjoy, like I have such a, like I said, mentally healthy, physically healthy like, I just, you know, I want to focus on, you know, building a healthy family right now. 
and getting in politics would not be good for them. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Well, uh, where can people find you on social media? So the best way to listen to like the KWS morning show is the Facebook live stream when they allow me to live stream. Cause like I said, I've got a 30 day ban now. So, you, you know, I'll have to figure out some way to broadcast the KWS morning show on Facebook, but for, like the page anyway. <laughs> but if you want to find me on social Liberty, it's just AP for Liberty, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, AP, the number four, AP, the number four, Liberty. AP for Liberty, type it in. Okay. I'm on whatever network it is, All right, except TikTok. TikTok. All yes. right. Very good. Austin Peterson, thanks for making time for At The Mic. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Keith. I want to thank Austin Peterson for taking the time to tell us about his life. He's done so much. It's going to be interesting to see where things go for him from here on out. If you enjoy the conversations that you hear on At The Mic, I hope you'll tell folks about it. Just go ahead and send them the convenient link, if you wouldn't mind, at themicshow.com. Tell them it's a matter of life and death. They must listen. They absolutely have to. <laughs> if you need some At The Mic Show merchandise, we've got that as well. Just head to atthemikeshop.com. Next week, we're going to sit down with the inaugural sponsor of this podcast, APR Coffee founder, Dave Matthews. There's so much more to Dave than coffee. We're going to discuss his life story next time. In the meantime, if you're able to rate and review this podcast, we'd appreciate it so much. But most importantly, please go be free. And thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemicshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Oh, hey there. You're still around? Cool. Thanks for making it to the very end of this podcast today. I want to reward you if you're quick enough to respond. This is kind of like an extra scene you might have after the credits roll on a Marvel movie. The first three people who send a direct message to the At The Mike Show Twitter account with their name, address, and one item they'd like to own from atthemikeshop.com from that website, you're going to receive it free of charge. Give it a shot. You may be one of the first to reach out. So what are you waiting for? Get on that. Send that direct message right now to At The Mike Show on Twitter with your mailing address, the product you'd like from atthemikeshop.com. And good luck.